Church, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We've got a few extra Bibles in the back if you want to grab one. But we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 29. And as you guys are turning there, uh, have you ever noticed that we are a people who desire to appear stronger than we actually are? We are. We, we are a people that, that we like to appear stronger than we actually are. I remember growing up, especially in high school, uh, we would be in the weight room with a, a sports team or something, and, and guys would be lifting appropriate weight for them, all right? And then one of the girls' sports teams would come in the weight room, and all of a sudden, it was time to get the big weights out onto the bar, right? And we all just kind of got this extra courage and sense of like, hey, we want to put this extra weight on the bar so you guys would just be loading up weights on the bar. And they, they wouldn't be in a hurry to lift the weight, but just more kind of stand next to it, you know, and kind of strike a pose uh, that they were by this real heavy weight. And then, of course, you as the spotter pretty much had to like help them on every single rep that they did. Uh, or, or maybe if maybe you've experienced this where you're in a room by yourself, you're doing push-ups and sit-ups, right? And you're doing like three, four, five. Someone walks in, 98, 99, 100. All right, you did it, right? We like to appear stronger than we actually are. We are not a people who want to be weak, or we are not a people that want to appear that we are weak. And this plays out more than just the weight room, okay? Uh, maybe you've been in a classroom setting, and you've been afraid to ask a question because you have not wanted to appear maybe intellectually weak or dumb. I remember being in a class, and the teacher, right from the start, was like, just so you know, there's no such thing as dumb questions, only dumb people. And, uh, and when they said that, it was like, yep, I am not going to say anything. Uh, for a whole semester, I will look on the internet for questions that I have, but I will not raise my hand, right? I will follow Mark Twain's wisdom, who I think said, it's better to keep your mouths shut and appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubt, right? So I'm just like, yep, I'm not saying anything. I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, maybe, maybe this has played out in your city group or in a small group setting or with another brother or sister that you've maybe been sharing some struggles with, right? We have times where we share heart struggles and weaknesses or sins, things that we're dealing with. And uh, many times, uh, church people, uh, we like to make uh, kind of cop-out confessions, right? Like the Spirit has laid something on our heart that we know is the real issue, but we're instead kind of just going to go around and, and, and appear a bit stronger than we are and make a confession like, you know, I've, I think I've been volunteering too much. It's been, it's been hindering my Bible memorization or something like that. Or, or we have something we know we really need to share with a brother or sister. And instead of sharing a whole 100% of it, we'll, we'll share like 25% of it, but then explain how we're already kind of working through that and everything's good. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But uh, I've been there. I think some of you guys have been there as well. And uh, we want to appear stronger than we really are. We don't want to have the appearance of weakness. And sadly, in our attempt to appear strong, we miss out on being empowered by real strength. 
And this desire to appear stronger than we actually are, it actually can have a devastating effect on the life of a believer. It can have a devastating effect on an entire church and just the culture and the life of how the church plays out. And this desire to appear stronger than we actually are, it needs to be corrected this morning by the Word of God. And as we come to these last few verses of this great chapter, Hebrews 11, I mean, you think about some of the things we've learned throughout Hebrews chapter 11. We've learned that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we've seen then example after example of those who did live by faith. They lived a life that was pleasing to God because they lived by faith. But also in these examples, we've seen that there was a great power and a great strength that these people experienced as they lived by faith. And the title of this morning's sermon is The Powerful Life of Faith. That's my desire for us, that we would know what this is, what this means to live the powerful life of faith. And this morning, we're going to look at kind of the end of Hebrews 11, and we're going to see examples of people who were empowered by real strength to live by real faith. And we're going to see two different categories, all right? This morning, we're going to see that some were empowered by real strength to live by real faith in seasons of success. And we'll see that others were empowered by real strength to live by real faith in seasons of suffering and setbacks. But the question is, where does this real strength come from? And how do we experience it? And so let's ask the Lord to to help us, to help us see from his word where this real strength comes from. Father God, this, this is your word, and these are your people. And Lord, I come weak and needy to this task of, of preaching. Father, I ask that I would not get in the way of what, what you desire to speak to us today. God, we ask that you would awaken hearts that you would awaken us to your glory, that Christ's face might shine upon us today. Oh Lord, would you wake up the sleepers this morning? Would you wake up those who are relying on their own strength and performance to be right with you or just to, to, to be right in life? God, would you wake us up from our slumber? Would you free us from this desire to appear stronger than we actually are? And may we know and experience where this real strength comes from. We ask your help. It's going to have to be by your power alone, God. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to go fairly quickly through some of these examples because I don't want to miss the big point here. And, uh, you know, I I thought about just taking a name at a time and going back to the Old Testament, breaking it all down. I, I, I fear we would miss the big point here, okay? And the big point is that these people were empowered by real strength to live by real faith, all right? They experienced some real power, some real strength in their lives, and they lived by real faith, a faith that persevered. And so I'd encourage you the rest of this week, maybe go and look at these examples back in the Old Testament. Read some more of their accounts, and you will find that they experienced some great power. I mean, they were greatly empowered to live by faith. They saw God work in mighty and strong ways. We see miraculous accounts here of rescue and conquest and victory. But then you will also find in these accounts, 
you will find great failings. You will find great weaknesses that many of these examples had. These are not perfect people that we are about to talk about. We're going to talk about their faith, but these are not perfect people. These are not even really strong people. These were people who lived by faith because they were empowered by a strength that originated outside of themselves. They didn't have to dig deep to find it. It originated from outside of themselves. So look, look at Hebrews 11, verse 29. And again, I, we're going to go quick through this, all right? Hebrews 11, verse 29, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Pretty, pretty dramatic rescue here, right? This is a, a famous story. You're probably well aware of it, right? God's people being rescued from slavery out of Egypt. They come across the Red Sea. The Egyptians are now coming back upon them. And God send, sends a strong east wind, comes in. It pushes the water to the side so that the people can walk on dry land. I mean, here we see some great strength. This is some real power here, all right? And we also see some real faith as the people by faith, walk through on dry ground. A powerful work of God over his creation, over the wind and the waves, and the people by faith walked through. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for, uh, for seven days. Right, Jericho was one of the earliest fortified towns that we know of in history. It had walls that were described as reaching to the heavens, to human eyes, and to human reasoning. It seemed like it was an invincible fortress. And God gives his people then one of the strangest military strategies out there. Uh, I'm not an expert on military strategy. Some of you maybe are, but this one's sort of strange. It doesn't go along with human reasoning, right? He's got some of the, God tells some of the priests and the men of war to, to get the Ark of the Covenant, which remember that, that'll be important for later. And they're going to circle uh, the city one time for six days in a row. Then on the seventh day, they march around it seven times. They blow trumpets, they shout, and the walls of the city fall down. Now that's some real strength, right? There's, there's some real power there, and there's also some real faith. Because I imagine on days four and five, it was a little weird doing the circle, all right? There's maybe some questions, like, hey, uh, the, the walls are not budging here at all. It took real strength, and it took real faith. Verse 31 by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I, I love that Rahab, the prostitute, makes this list. And this should just completely shatter any shame that we might carry with us from our past or any feeling that God cannot use us because of how we lived before we started living by faith. Listen, church, real strength does not come from your past, does not come from your resume, does it not come from your background check. Whether you were a star Sunday school performer or whether you were a prostitute, your past is not where real strength comes from, the strength that is needed to live a life of real faith. And the author of Hebrews doesn't even try to cover, up, cover this up. He says, Rahab the prostitute, as if you, we were maybe thinking it was a different Rahab. No, Rahab the prostitute. She had experienced, she had encountered, she had believed and seen this great power of the God of Israel, and she demonstrated great faith. 
Rahab, we know, would then become the great-great-grandma of King David, from which would be the family line of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me. This is Some, some people think the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon, and I, I would be one of those. Uh, I think verse 32 is the biggest evidence that this was a sermon. He's, he's, he's being mindful of the time, right? Verse 32, what more shall I say? Time would fail to tell me, right? Of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. We think of Daniel and others, right? Quenched the power of fire. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Remember that phrase. If you like to highlight, underline your Bible, that would be a good one. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war put foreign armies to flight, and women receive back their dead by resurrection. Let's stop there. All right, so here is example after example of imperfect and weak people being empowered by real strength to live by real faith in some seasons of success. Right? These, these are accounts of some rescue and conquest and victory and success. But where does this power come from? Where does real strength originate? Where, where does it come from? And it seems like God, even in times of success, even in times of rescue and conquest and victory, that God has made it very clear as to where real strength comes from. I mean, think about the parting of the Red Sea. The, the east wind can't take too much credit for that one. The walls of Jericho falling down by people marching around. It, it, it wouldn't be too easy to take credit for that. Or what about the example of Gideon? All right, Gideon, if you want to read later on uh, back in the book of Judges, Judges 7, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers ready to roll and do battle with the Midianites. And in Judges 7, verse 2, we'll have it up on the screen. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. It's almost as if God knows what is in the heart of human beings, isn't it? God knows what is in the heart of men and women and children since sin has entered into the world, and he knows that if they have victory with 32,000 soldiers, they will give themselves the credit. And that's not the worst part about it. He knows that by giving themselves the credit, they will turn from the Lord, they will trust in themselves, and they will miss out on experiencing the real power and the real strength that only God provides. And God says, no, 32,000, that is too many. You need to get weaker. You need to get smaller. Send some people home. God tells him to send home all the ones who are afraid. 22,000 go home. And I would say if you have an army of 32,000 and 22,000 are shaking in their boots, I would say you are appearing a bit stronger than you actually are, Right? God says, send them home. 22,000 go home. There's 10,000 that remain. God says, nope, get weaker, get smaller. Send them home. And he sends them home until there are 300 remaining. 
God knew that with 32,000 soldiers, they were not going to see where real strength and real power comes from. With 300, they will. You see, here's the underlying common denominator of all these people that experienced real strength to live by real faith. And I'm gonna, we'll put up a few verses from Judges. I want, I want you guys to see if you can diagnose the underlying common denominator. So let's start with Judges 6, verse 34. Judges 6, verse 34. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. What about Judges 11.29? Let's see if you can see the underlying common denominator here. Judges 11.29. Then the Spirit of the Lord, I'm not trying to make this hard, okay, was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on. What about Judges 13.24-25? And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And what was it that they were marching around the walls of Jericho with? It was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the mobile hotspot of the Spirit of the Lord in the time of the Old Covenant. It would seem that it was the Spirit of the Lord that is giving real strength and real power for these people to live by real faith. But in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit was never, never permanently took up residence in the heart of someone. No, but that was what they were looking forward to in the New Covenant age, which has been inaugurated by the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So put that in the back of your mind for right now, because we'll see that as we get back to verse 40, and we see that God has provided something better for us who now live in the New Covenant age, okay? So, so remember that. But we're in the middle of verse 35 of Hebrews 11, and a transition happens. Because yes, the people we just talked about, these people were empowered. They were given real strength to live by faith during times of success. But this passage is about to shift gears. And it's about to start referencing some seasons of suffering and setbacks as well. Because you see, both seasons of success and seasons of suffering require real strength to live by real faith. And I would actually, that it's actually in seasons of success and victory that we are in greater danger of missing out on real strength. You see, because when things are going well, when we are, you know, like Hebrews 11 is talking about, when we are escaping the edge of, sword, of the sword and we're conquering kingdoms and we're, and we're quenching the power of fire, we can start to rely on our own performance instead of God's power. That's the temptation for us in times of success when all is going well in those seasons. Yes, there are seasons we are broken down. There are seasons when we are being built up. And in those seasons of being built up, the temptation is for us to start to rely on our own performance instead of God's power. And while we might not ever say it out loud, we can start to live with the heart posture that says, my own hand has saved me. My own hand has sustained me. 
We see this happen in the life of believers. I mean, God does a miraculous work. He rescues us from slavery to sin. He saves us. He brings us through the waters of the Red Sea. We see victories. We see walls of Jericho being torn down. We see some success and victory and progress in our life. And then we start to wrongly believe that our own hand had saved us. And this was one of the concerns Paul had with the Galatians. And we too must be aware of this propensity inside of us, especially when things are going well. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes to them in verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's saying, guys, like, you're starting to trust in your own performance. Like, Do you realize that your sin was so bad, you didn't just need a teacher to come just correct a few things. You needed the Son of God to come and be crucified for your sins. Do you remember this? Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. You didn't need just a little supplement to your life. You didn't need him just to kind of, you know, even out some things. You needed the Son of God to come and die for you. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Church, we, got to, we, we have to be aware of this trap. We cannot give the enemy an opportunity to come in and to tempt us to start trusting in our own strength, to start trusting in our own performance as we continue in the faith. Because if we do this, we will miss out on where the real power and the real strength comes from. We do this. We, we quench the spirit. We, we miss out on where the real power And the real strength comes from because of this propensity for us to start believing that our own hands have saved us and our own hands sustain us. But God is so good and he is so gracious to not only give us seasons of victory and success, but also seasons of suffering and setbacks. And so what we see in verse 35 is that things take a pretty dramatic turn in the list of examples of what a persevering faith looks like. Because yes, at times, God will empower you to live by faith during seasons of success, but there will also be those who are called upon to be empowered with real strength to live by real faith during seasons of suffering, during seasons of setbacks. So look back at Hebrews 11, verse 35. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's that's heavy. That's that's sobering. 
The author of Hebrews knows that this is what the original recipients, they needed to hear. And we need to hear it as well. But specifically in their example, he, he knew that they had more persecution heading their way. And they needed to know that living the life of faith, yes, at times it, it looks like success and victory, but living the life of faith will also requ- require enduring suffering. Yes, there are some times and some places and some people who get into positions where they can by faith enforce justice, but there are also many times Christians are in positions where they just have to endure injustice. There are seasons of being broken down and there are seasons of being built up. And we can look at the persecution and the suffering that our brothers and sisters are experiencing right now in other parts of the world. We, we can look at the suffering of the, the prophets and the people of God and well-known martyrs in the past. And we can think to ourselves, there's no way I'd be strong enough to endure that. There's no way. But when we say that, we are revealing where we think true strength comes from. And it's in seasons of suffering that God shows us where real strength comes from. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul. If you've got a Bible, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 few books to your left. Hold your spot in Hebrews. Maybe said that too late, but hold your spot in Hebrews. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is in the middle of giving a defense of his authority as an apostle. He's speaking against some false teachers who like to commend themselves and are clearly trusting in their own performance and their own abilities and their own strength. And he says, yeah, hey, listen, that's not where real strength comes from. And so at the start of chapter 12, Paul shares about how he himself has had this wonderful vision of heaven. He's, he's been in paradise. He's seen the, the Lord. He's heard things that he cannot even repeat and share with us. However, God, knowing what is in man's heart, including Paul's, knew that such a great revelation could lead to pride, could lead to self-reliance, and, and, and could ultimately lead to him missing out on where real strength and real power come from. And so we pick up 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, where Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now everyone speculates on what this thorn was. We don't know. It might have been a physical ailment. It might have been these false teachers who were coming against him. It might have been he was on a group text thread that he just couldn't get off of, uh, even though he tried. We don't know. But what we do know is that it caused him pain, that God had sent and allowed some pain for the purpose of creating in him humility so that he might enjoy God's grace and experience God's power. Did you guys know that God works like this? And it's easy to forget that, especially when we're experiencing pain. But God will at times allow pain for the purpose of creating in us humility so that we might enjoy God's grace 
and experience God's power. You see, church, God knows that we are weak. But we need to know that we are weak so that we might enjoy his grace and experience his power. When we take my youngest son, Joel, swimming, he's, he's three years old, I do not throw him in the pool to prove to myself that he can't swim. I know he can't swim. I need to show him the water and the deep end because I need him to know that he can't swim. Not to shame him, not to deliberately hurt his self-esteem, but to show him that apart from me, apart from me either putting on a floaty or apart from me holding him, he's not powerful enough to swim. I need him to know that. And God knows that we are weak. He, he's not fooled by the extra weight you put on the bar before you come Sunday morning. God already, he already knows. He wants us to know that we are weak. Not to shame us, not to discourage us, but so that we might enjoy his grace and experience his power. Now, Paul, just like you and me, does not like pain, all right? He doesn't desire it. And if God's asking me, I'm picking the team that's like conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice. I'm not on the team that's getting sawn in two, if it was up to me, all right? No one volunteers for seasons of suffering. We'd prefer to be in the other season. And so Paul doesn't like this pain necessarily. He pleads with the Lord. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And look at how God answers Paul. I know this is a familiar passage, and so anytime you come across a familiar passage, read it slower than you normally would, okay? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough, Paul. Not just his saving grace, yes, that's enough to save you, but, but his empowering grace, his undeserved favor and empowering presence of the Spirit in Paul, it's enough. He says, for my power is made perfect in spite of your weaknesses. No, that's not what he says. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Verse 9 continues, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That verb rest in the original language is built upon the root word for tabernacle so that the power of Christ may tabernacle in me. You see, we wrongly think that to live the powerful life of faith, that we need God's power and then my power, right? Kind of this, this, this we think of it as like God, then me, right? God's power to save me, redeem me, rescue me, but then my power to like get me to the end, right? We think God, then me. Or we think God's power plus my power equals a life, the Christian life, right? God plus me. Like, God, you do the heavy lifting. I'll bring in the couch cushions. We'll get this job done, right? God's power plus my power equals the powerful life of faith. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not how the Bible would say you live the powerful life of faith. It's not God then me. It's not God plus me. It is God in me. God in me. It has to be 
the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit taking up residence in me. That's how you live the powerful life of faith. But listen, when you rely on your own power in your own performance instead of the Holy Spirit's power, you quench the Spirit and you miss out on real strength and you maybe even miss out on real salvation. If you've never fully trusted in Christ's power to save you from your sins, to forgive you, to adopt you into the family of God. And this is what Paul is saying. He's not saying that God's power plus my power equals the powerful life of faith, that, and that, that that's what would get you inducted into the, the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. No, Paul's saying it's God's power in my weakness that produces the powerful life of faith. The powerful life of faith has to be lived by God's power. And God's power is not experienced in spite of your weaknesses. God's power is not experienced by downplaying your weaknesses. God's power is not experienced by hiding your weaknesses from one another or pretending like they aren't there. God's power is experienced in my weaknesses and in your weaknesses, for it is in our weaknesses that we learn His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient, church. You are not sufficient. One of the great joy-stealing, power-quenching lies of the enemy is that you are to be self-sufficient. Charles Spurgeon will have a quote up on the screen. The Prince of Preachers once said this. I probably should have just led with this, and then we've all gone home. They would have been better. He writes, do not become self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor silly fish. God pours no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life of dependence on the grace of God. Hmm. Paul goes on to say then in verse 10 that since God's grace is sufficient, that has now caused him to think differently about his weaknesses and suffering. He's not ashamed of them. He's not embarrassed by them. There's no point in in playing them off like they aren't that bad. There's no use pretending like he's stronger than he really is. This all-sufficient grace of God that he has learned in suffering, this has produced a contentment with human weakness and suffering. Verse 10, he writes, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's where real strength is found, church. In weakness. Flip back to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. 
last two verses. We're coming to the end of this glorious chapter. We've seen example after example of what a persevering faith looks like. This morning, we've seen examples of those who have gone before us that were both empowered with real strength to live by real faith during seasons of success and during seasons of suffering. And as I'm reading this, as I'm reading these accounts, I'm thinking to myself, man, it would have been awesome to live back then and experience the power of God in those ways. And then I get to verse 39 and 40. And that, those verses will not allow us to think that way. You see, we are prone to think that things have never been worse. And the author of Hebrews would say, no, no, no. You, you Christians living in the new covenant age, things have never been better. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect or complete. You see, all these saints were looking forward to the new age, the new creation, the new covenant that we are now currently living in. They looked forward to the coming Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were looking for God to once again tabernacle and dwell with his people. No one was made perfect in the old covenant. They were longing for the new. And now, church, how blessed are we that in Christ, the manifold wisdom of God has now been made known through the church. And when we gather and we worship and we proclaim the glory of Christ, listen, these are things that angels are on the edges of their seat longing to learn as to how all the purposes of God are going to prevail, how his power is going to be displayed and completed and perfected in his weak people, the church. Jesus Christ came to earth and willingly entered into human weakness and suffering. You remember from earlier in Hebrews, right, that he's our sympathetic high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He entered into it willingly. He lived a sinless life, and this sinless Savior then took the sins of his people up onto the cross, and he suffered, and he died in our place. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and he then ascended into heaven, and he is seated on the throne where he is ruling and reigning as our great king and our great high priest. And not only that, he has now sent his Holy Spirit to rest upon us and live inside of us that God's power might be displayed in us, in our weaknesses. And because of his spirit that now lives inside of us, we can now be empowered to experience real strength, to live by real faith, to persevere to the end. What grace, church, what grace, and it is the grace of it is by the grace of God church that we have received the the spirit's power the power that parted the red seas the, the 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 power that brought the walls of jericho down the power that quenched fire and shut the mouth of lions the the power that raised jesus from the dead now dwells inside of us and it is that power that the gates of hell will not prevail against You see, we view, we view our weaknesses 
as obstacles getting in the way of what God can do in and through us. And we, we come in here and, and we ap- try to appear stronger and healthier than we are because we think that it's God's power plus our power that equals the life of a Christian. But church, that math doesn't add up in light of Scripture. And may the gospel free you of that today. It's not God's power plus your power. It's God's power in your weaknesses that equals the powerful life of faith. And some of you are struggling, but you don't want to ask for help. You don't want to be open and real about it. You care more about appearing strong than actually experiencing real strength. Some of you don't want to share your weaknesses because you don't want to be a a burden to the person sitting next to you. Our weaknesses, listen, our weaknesses are not obstacles. They are, in fact, opportunities for us to grow as the people of God, to enjoy the grace of God, and to experience the power of God. And some of you, maybe, maybe some of you, maybe you're not struggling, right? Maybe, maybe some of you don't even realize how weak you are. You would have no idea what to ask for for help because you're maybe blind to even your own weaknesses. And, and you're lacking joy and you're lacking power because you've never truly experienced and enjoyed the sufficiency of God's grace because you've been too busy pursuing the sufficiency of self. But you've done it with a Bible in your hand and Jesus on your lips, and so no one's ever called you out on it. But you've actually never enjoyed the grace of God, and you've never experienced the power of God. And so if that's you, if that's you, that maybe you don't even know, because sometimes we are blind to what, what our weak spots are, what our blind spots are. Listen, if that's you, you might need to go to a trusted brother or sister and say, hey, can you, can you speak into my life? Where do you see are my weak spots? It's a, it's a scary question to ask, all right? It takes courage to ask that. But as brothers and sisters, we can, we can be loving and we can be gentle and we can help one another and we can see one another's weaknesses. So uh, Pastor Gary, Pastor Kevin, and myself, we, we pray for you all by, by name. All right, Those of you that we know your name, we pray for you by name on a fairly regular basis. And I'm telling you, your pastors have some insight into your spiritual health and your strengths and your weaknesses and what's going on with you. They do. And they pray for you. And sometimes I just wish like, that, that you could even be in the room to hear these. Like, I don't even know if you're aware of some of these things that are praying for you. But your brothers and sisters, they see some of your weaknesses, and they're praying for you. So ask them. Ask one another. Have a trusted brother or sister that you can have those conversations with. Do this with your spouse. spouse make sure you are aware and are seeing some of the weaknesses that each other has. And then just watch what the Lord will do with that. Watch how his grace will be sufficient and you'll start to enjoy it. Watch how his power will bring strength to those areas of your life. Sufficient grace and real strength are found in weakness. 
And it's more than just that point of conversion, right? We've all kind of had that point where God brought us to the end of ourselves. We finally saw the glory of Christ. We saw our need for a Savior, right? That's a beautiful moment when the Lord leads us to the end of ourselves because guess what? At the end of ourselves is the glory of Christ that we get to start enjoying. We now get to live the life of Christ. But that happens more than just at your point of conversion. It should happen all throughout your life where you're coming to the end of yourself, where God is humbling you. He's showing you time and time again your weaknesses, your needs, and your dependency ultimately upon him. There was a Sunday gathering a few weeks ago where I had to walk out of here in the, the first song during our worship. Uh, and I had to pull Pastor Kevin aside uh, and I had to tell him, like, man, I don't, I don't think I can preach like this. And he, uh, you know, he starts scrambling with his Bible, looking through Proverbs, trying to figure out a sermon he can come up with and a couple of songs. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. That didn't really happen. But I was like, I, th- there's, there's something happening in my heart right now. There, there, there's a weakness that is now I'm being tempted to, to, to turn sinful And I cannot by faith step and preach with power when this is happening right now in my heart. I need help. Will you you pray with me? And he prayed with me. And we confessed it to the Lord. We confessed it to one another. And I was able then to, uh, God doesn't always answer prayers that quickly, but thankfully for all of us, he did very quickly. He then strength, I, I felt his strength. I enjoyed his grace. I experienced his forgiveness and I could still step up and preach by faith, by his strength and not my own. And even since then, the Lord has freed me from that, that just, angst and struggle struggle and kind of between weakness bordering on becoming sinful that was going on in my heart and the Lord has been strengthening that in me since then and last night as I was reflecting on seasons of just how God has strengthened me personally or just things in our church uh, it felt like time and time again that strength was coming that strength was coming in my personal life, strength was coming in my marriage or in my, in my church life, in my pastoral ministry, in my friendships. Strength was always coming after seasons of becoming aware of my weaknesses, acknowledging them to the Lord and others, and asking for help from the Lord and others. And I look back and I, I see that point where God brought me to the end of myself. He showed me those weaknesses. I could confess them to him. I could ask for help. And then I see strength coming out of that. Real strength. That empowers us to live by real faith. And I want that for you this morning as well, church. I want you to ask for help. I want you to ask for prayer. And we'll have people at the end of the service up here ready to pray with you. We, we in general, are a people really bad in asking for help in prayer. I don't want you to hide or downplay your weaknesses. Church, let us not be a church that adds weight to the bars to appear stronger than we are. Let us not be... Whoa. <laughs> 
Let us not be a church that trusts in our own performance or power. Let us not be a church that views our weaknesses as obstacles. But instead, may we see them as opportunities for God's grace to be enjoyed and God's power to be experienced. And so what, what brother or sister do you need to go to this morning today and, and to ask for help? How might you need to humble yourself this morning before the Lord and confess your pride and self-sufficiency? Church, it's not God's power plus your power that equals the powerful life of faith. It is God's power in your weakness that equals the powerful life of faith. His grace is sufficient. Let's pray.